Hello and welcome to This Week in X, presented by Crushing Comics. This is the show where we talk about all of the X-Men comics out for the week, this week on the 26th of May. And there are two comics out this week in the X-Men line, our final two before the Hellfire Gala. Those two comics are X-Men number 20 and New Mutants number 18. And our discussion comes with a spoiler warning, because oh boy, are we going to be digging into the details of these comics, connecting them to each other and to the wider X-Men line and X-Men history. Before we get started, we always love to warm up with a question so we can have some introductory chat between the four of us. And the question I have today, I think, somewhat connects to both of the books today, which is a question about something that people refer to as residual self-image, like the way that you see yourself in your brain. So since that's sort of a weird thing to ask you about, I thought I would maybe just volunteer mine first. In my head, no matter what I look like externally, I have hair that's about this long, but it's purple from when I had my purple hair. I'm not used to thinking of myself with glasses, even though I wear glasses now. And I am probably in like stage clothes. So I'm not as like dressed up as this. I'm in some kind of like tight jeans or vinyl pants or like some cool shiny thing. Because to me, the image that I've kind of like set in my head is is rock star me, who I was for a few years there. And so sometimes like when I have really short hair and I'm dressed all up for business, I'm like, I'll forget that people are receiving this version of me that's not encoded with like, oh, they're not seeing Peter with punk colored hair and they're not seeing Peter. They're seeing Peter <laughs> in what I call male drag because I'm just dressed up kind of like this dude with this, you know, blazer and, and these <laughs> thick glasses. But self-image changes over time, right? I also see myself around this age. It's not like I'm thinking of myself still as like a 20 year old, which I am quite far away from now. So Tyler, um, do you have any aspects of residual self-image when you think of Tyler in your head? Is that any different from the Tyler we're seeing right now? Um, kind of, I think, because um, I, I mentioned before that I don't recognize features. Huh. So you, hmm. if you ask me, oh, do you have double eyelids? What's the size of your nose? I probably wouldn't be able to answer that question because mm -hmm. I don't remember that or I don't see that. Um, but what I see in my head of me is, well, I also, I also mentioned before, I think in one of the very one of the earlier episodes that I don't have a very um, strong self-image. So I do see myself as fat and old. Mm. <laughs> Older than you are? Um, kind of, because I do feel old nowadays. Huh. So, um, I mean, you know, backache and stuff like that, you know. <laughs> and um, yeah, I mean, definitely not where I think I should be at um, in, in terms of like physical physically so I, I and and definitely fat so so this is not just a self-image thing this is a real thing <laughs> definitely fat and um i don't know about yeah. that but... so 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 so, so in, in that sense um yeah so you know i i don't have a very flattering image of myself right so um yeah so you know sometimes i do get compliments which i was mm. which i always is surprised and not 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 because I'm humble or modest, but I'm genuinely they don't surprised. Huh? They don't match it again. the thing in your head. You yeah. get the compliment, and you're like, no, I'm not. No, yeah, I was like, <laughs> no, I'm not. And 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 it's genuine. Like I I don't think I look like that, or I don't think um I'm sexy or something like that, you know. But um, but when I do get a compliment, I mean, I mean, it feels good. It's just that I don't think I'm like that. That's all. <laughs> Tyler, uh, I don't know I, what you, whatever you're thinking, but I think you are a very beautiful man. Oh, I and think I, you. And I see, and I see that say that genuinely. 
Okay. <laughs> I think you have <laughs> Thank you. great. I think a great skin, but the bigger thing is like I feel like everyone on some level is always feeling like they haven't quite reached the level either physically or mentally that they want to be. Mm. So I just feel like that's like a very human thing that sometimes we should try to ignore if possible, says the person who can almost never. <laughs> but like, you know, just just be, be, let's all be kind to ourselves if yeah. possible. Well, Harry, is your uh, residual yeah. self-image kind to you? Or is it something that you have yet to attain? Or is it some past version? Or is it some totally <laughs> different thing? Oh, God. Well, my physical appearance has fluctuated up and down and round around throughout my life uh, so i don't even have like an enduring enduring image of myself i mean a few years ago i was very depressed and overeating and just halfway to alcoholism and i, I gained a lot of weight so that was kind of like for a long time that was how i viewed myself as being kind of larger and then i got out of that hole and all the weight kind of fell off but like it's it's not like your mind catches right. up to that after that happens mm. and it wasn't even like it was well it bothered me a little bit because like i i associated the the feelings i had with my physical appearance like of lack lack, lack of control um but more interestingly you know i'm i am a person who has very upbeat appearances or energy which is what everyone in my life has told me and i definitely have that kind of like pace when talking with people but you know i'm also like a human being like everyone who has you know anxiety and depression and rage and all kinds of not so much rage anymore but all but but you know human things and you know fatigue from that but like i feel like that when i'm dealing with people or walking around that's as plain as can be on my face and almost no one ever like sees that they get surprised when I mention that, like I might be someone who goes through that kind of stuff, which is interesting. Cause it's almost like, you know, just, you know, I don't, it's not like I'm putting in work to kind of be like the happy kind of deal, but it's just something I do. And I've done it so much. It just, it comes off more natural than others than sometimes for myself, mm. which isn't, I, I sound like a Tumblr poem right now, which isn't the case. No, I mean, you sound but like somebody who's actually put some thought into this. You know, a lot of people I have, are like, I don't know, I'm just yeah. how I am. But like, you know, sometimes you put a little bit more thought into like, wow, I don't, people don't see all these things that I think are actually quite obvious. Yeah. Sometimes it's a positive or negative. I think, I think one of the benefits of narcissism comes with like a lot of introspection yeah. <laughs> and therapy. Familiar. Therapy helps too. Familiar themes to me. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So it's just, you know, it's just interesting. Like, you know, the, the things you feel inside and the down things you can feel inside tower, they're not even evident to other people, which, you know, ultimately doesn't matter as much because, you know, it's you who has to live with it, but yeah. it, it helps when you think about it. What about yeah. you, Freya? Do you have yeah. an internal self-image that matches the external one? Tell us a little bit about the the internal vision of Freya. So not necessarily as a person point of view, because that's a pretty loaded question. I don't want to get into that. <laughs> but in terms of like uh, appearance, yeah. I always, always thought of myself like somewhere, someone who's in their 50s, like, I felt like that's so like old lady a, Faria is literal headcanon. <laughs> yeah, it's that's a literal headcanon. Because the thing is, like, I always thought that, you know, by the time I reach 50, I won't have to. And I think it comes with, like, a lot of internal, like, it's like, okay, I'm always been the youngest person in, like, at work or youngest person, like, you know, in some form, like, friendship and stuff like that, even though people forged their age because that's a thing that you do in Bangladesh. Uh, I didn't. But the thing is, like, it's just a thing. And then so... I was always like the most junior person. And then I always kind of was like, people were always like 
and I always felt like I needed to be nicer to the older people. I don't feel mm. that anymore. I mean, you know, the way I talk <laughs> to you guys is like whatever. Um, but no, I so I kind of always put that image in there, like you know, I wanted to be like a successful woman in her fifties who has the, her life together. I'm, oh. I'm I'm slowly inching to that. I'm like about like what eighteen years. Uh, That's no, I'm <gasps> sixteen years away from that. Hey, <laughs> That's really cute, though, man. Right, you awesome. know, so to be like the old woman for Iha. Well, but then like you know, and then the people always tell me that, oh my god, you look like you know at least three years younger than I am. I'm like, oh, like. I, I, that's not what I'm trying to achieve here. But I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I haven't. I like. I thought that as I would grow older, I may have a different view of that. So far, I don't. But I don't know. I, I wonder if I'm always going to be one of those person who's like 31 day and then suddenly looking like 80 the next. I don't know. <laughs> Tana knows about be... that. To, about that too. About that concept so too. Falling so, off the cliff. This is, yeah, this like, is about well, falling off the cliff. <laughs> I, I think that that was worth talking about. And usually we don't get into the issues before the issues. But both of these issues end on a resurrection. And both of these resurrections have maybe an element that's a little bit surprising to see in a resurrection. Uh, and it really made me think about like why are mutants resurrected the way that they are? Which is a huge, huge question we're going to get into in both of these discussions. But, you know, people have asked, why would a mutant who has some form of disability be resurrected still with that disability? At the same time, why is Wolverine resurrected with adamantium? And I think a lot of that comes down to the way people ideally see themselves. Without doing any spoiling of this week's discussions, a few weeks ago, we saw Malice die and come back in a body. She hadn't had a body for like, I don't know, what, like a decade or a while, but she got a body when she came back. And it really set me down this path thinking about like, well, the resurrection process is kind of about who you are truly in your head, not what you want to look like, Quentin Choir, but what you actually <laughs> see yourself as in your head. So that's why I wanted to tackle this discussion today. And I think it's an interesting moment of introspection, but also an interesting moment to interrogate why some of the resurrections are happening as they do in the box. Mm -hmm. X-Men 20, as we always do, we're going to start with a brief initial reaction before we get into the themes and details of this issue. Starting with Tyler, what did you think? Um, I know I said it. I like dance issues last week, um, but I kind of also enjoy books that are well written and go somewhere. Even even though in this case it takes its time to get there, um, there I mean, but you know that that there is a major plot fallacy here, uh, which we'll get into later on, which kind of like dock off some points. Um, I mean, I like it, and the ending um, gave me chills. I do appreciate the consistencies of ghost color though. So so it makes it like feels really familiar with the issues that this is connected to. Mm. Um I, I, I give it a four duplicates out of five. Harry. This thing's a drag, man. Um I am it's a weird book to read because there's stuff that's ostensibly interesting and it is being it's moving us to something I'm really excited for. But I feel like a lot of these Hickman issues have been, oh man, this is going to lead somewhere great. But the actual issue we had just read was just kind of there. Um, you know, this things definitely happened in this, but it's still kind of lacking any kind of punch or excitement. And I am speaking as a major Hickman fan. I like this guy's sensibilities and his style. But like after last issue, which was so 
so great and one of the best things that has been in this entire run of comics like going getting back to this level of just like lukewarm milk it's just it's getting really frustrating and you know it there's definitely some other you know and and, and it positions characters in this series as particularly monstrous which we'll get into and it's just not that that's a bad thing but it's just you know it's it's really i don't have a lot of emotion about it which is really disappointing because you know this has been a lot of build-up to this moment and it just feels like we're getting more build-up and yeah so i'm gonna i'm gonna give it a, a two and a half Furiha. so i'm a whole for mystique that's a well-known fact. <laughs> like, that great cover, cover is oh so God. brilliant. Yeah. For people Ridiculous. listening and not watching, it's Mystique on the photocopier by uh, Del Mundo, and every face that comes out of the photocopier is a different face. So brilliant. Yeah. Yes, it's it's like, you know, including a sloth. Which From is, Zootopia. Which Zootopia, <laughs> which is just makes it the best thing ever. Uh, so I, as a whore for Mystique, I absolutely love this issue, but I also didn't love that uh, some of the stuff with the racist people, that why I should be caring about it. And then also there is certain, like the idea of like words matter, like that was actually, like I finally understood what that means because there is some usage in, of words in this that took my breath away. And then at the end, when the final reveal happened, I'm like, I knew it. Like I have, I have receipt. Like you know, I have sent that to the to the messenger to you guys. I'm like, I'm hundred percent sure. And then it was, it happened. I was like so happy. Moments like that don't come in my life very often. So I'm just all about it. So yeah, I yeah, this... I loved it for a lot of things. I didn't quite care about a couple of things that I wish was not in here. But overall, I'm super excited to see where it goes. I thought it was really clumsy. I think that uh, mm. for an issue that was about Mystique, which the entirety of X fandom seemed to have been craving ever since the setup in issue number six, it has very su surprisingly little interior life for Mystique, nor does she ever really kind of sound like herself. She seems really, I don't know, kind of unsure in a way. And I think that that's fine given what the stakes are, but it didn't really hit for me. And then Mobley, I, I'm sorry, I don't want to be mean about any artist, but he doesn't know how to draw Mystique. Um, I don't think any panel of Mystique looks right. The foreshortening is wrong. The size of her body is wrong. She frequently lacks a neck. So I think if you're going to have a feature issue of a character that we've all been craving a feature issue on, and it's going to set up future stuff, and you have the voice wrong, and you don't draw her right, then you kind of failed, which is a shame because there's so much good thematic stuff in this that I actually found very appealing in a way that I haven't earlier in the run. But I just, I mean, I've reread it a few times now, and I cannot get past how clumsy the execution is. So it's always fun when we have varying opinions. <laughs> uh, I just... So I want to. I hate being the wet blanket. Man. I'm a little. I'm, like a, I'm a damp blanket, at least at, at minimum. <laughs> so look, I I think for this one, we've got to talk about a thematic element first, because if we don't, we're going to just talk about the thematic element in every section. So here's the thematic element: Mystique is separated from her lover, and they think if that lover is brought back, it's going to put an end to this fragile utopia. Who knows if that's right or not? We're not here to debate that quite yet. Then, to regain that lover, she, supposedly, she has to commit violence to separate someone else from her lover. And something, and that will also end a fragile sense of utopia because that person has just brought their lover back. Now, yeah, they're horrible and racist, but there's absolutely a sense of mirroring happening here mm, between yes. Mystique and the scientist. And what's really interesting is it creates sort of a feedback loop because we end on this question of, is it Mystique and Mystique's 
failure in this issue that actually births the Nimrod that we have known about throughout the whole history of X-Men. So before we get into any specifics of the then, the now, the Orcus Forge, I just want to take a moment and see if anybody has thoughts on that thematic mirroring of the two women here, starting with uh, Harry, I guess, because Harry seems like he's really reacting. <laughs> and then we'll go to Tyler and then no. Freya. Yeah, I picked up that I picked up on that during the book. It's just like an interesting thing where you know this book is you know ostensibly I mean, got stop using that. Uh, th- this book's villains are racist and bad, but there is a genuine emotion and love that this one uh, person has for her late husband, and how that is lost during this. And it's an interesting contrast with Krakoa and Xavier Magneto, who are basically, you know prohibiting that kind of love to flourish mm. on their island and it you know i mean you know there, there's always you know you can make the case that it, it definitely points to like in this reading you know krakow is this hedonistic place without love and what have you and this is like a hollow kind of island in that sense or you know that kind of thing um i like that part of it tyler thoughts on the thematic aspect i mean this is i mean i, I like the fact that this is about two lovers who is who are both so close to getting the mm. their partner back and mm-hmm. and just couldn't do it i mean and just couldn't make it either through interference or through you know um well i mean in some ways i think mystic is is never getting destiny back even if she succeed i think um that's that's the way i read it but um yeah i mean I like that part of, of it. Um, I also related to it. I also like the fact that, you know, it is the mutants um, interference that made certain things yes. happen. Um, yes. And yeah, this is not the first time. the future. The, yeah. The, and this is the second time in two issues that it's like the folly of Professor Xavier going on a mission ends up creating the thing they were worried yep. about. With last issue when they used darwin mm-hmm. to break through their research yeah. for the oh children. such a good point, of, harry children of the vault yeah so so the there's, vault, sorry. so yeah. there's nimrod there's children of the vault there is beast mm-hmm. meddling with terra verde there is the yeah. smiley ai which was stopped short even though they are friendly and then there's yeah. a new reverse like scattered you know caused by all the kill no humans law and you know you left them main mm-hmm. Um, you know, mm-hmm. so so basically, there are many things here throughout the whole um, dawn and reign of X that um, that either Xavier or Eric or the Krakoan has interfered and made and possibly made things worse. Uh, but it's just like you're you're seeing all of these like things getting put into motion because mm-hmm. they're trying to prevent them, and yeah. that's just like such a classic time it's travel a very sort classic, of yeah. sorry. Yeah, so but it's it's kind of understated, which I do appreciate, but mm. it's definitely happening. Freya, yeah. talk to us if you care to about this thematic mm. element, these mirrored women and their lost lovers. Well, first of all, I don't give a about the racist people <laughs> and their loves and their loss and stuff like that because that to me is like yay, lose everything. <laughs> I don't care. I don't. I really don't want sure. to humanize them. <laughs> the That's yeah. That That's done, totally fair. like you know. I don't care about that, but. To me, I am just more in love with the idea that the that all the people that uh, like you know people or forces that Tyler listed are all because 
mutants meddling yeah. and then that's how they are coming up and that yeah. is like a good threat to for them to have that is mm-hmm. like they're it's worthy of them it's like it's not just stupid politicians like you know mouth foaming or like you know hanging out like racist like stupid racist human hanging out with their board it's mm-hmm. a threat it's like you know and i have a feeling that in most cases from what i've seen that the main people ended up being mutants i have a feeling that blind guy is probably a mutant too like you know because interesting Do you, you know, know devil, devil. like yeah, yeah de- like you know devil. it's like because it's always kind of end up being that way so i'm mostly interested about that aspect of it however one thing i did wanted to kind of talk about is that you know we talked about it before that suffering of women and then how that is kind of like a um a, a thing in like a fiction, currency you know, in, like, in your work yeah yeah. yeah 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 it is an economy it's like an economic of women suffering and then how you get to get money out of it by selling those stories right um and this is kind of that this is a peak like there is a women suffering then there is also the trope of bar- bury your gaze you know because there is like yeah. everyone's keep coming back but then there is a, a gay couple that are struggling with it so i was kind of thinking about it like since i read this issue yesterday it's like okay so why is that not bothering me as much you know why why is this aspect of it is not bothering me as much but then i kind of came to that this like you know this feel like this thought that it's because potentially for the first time the struggle of the women or stuff uh, like you know struggle of these women or whether this like gay relationship or whatever it's to do with a bigger than them it's like it's like a bigger it's like a in country like it's like a how to build a society or how to build a country mm-hmm. like you know something that we don't see happen to women like you know women in ca- stories yeah they're an like, actual linchpin they- for once exactly yeah. it's not yeah. just this like, thing to create this um manipulative suffering currency to make us feel bad it's actually part right. of the whole structure exactly like it just feels like like they are not they're the one who's driving it they're the ones who like you know like Moira is in the background sitting there with some interesting books that type <laughs> we're not there yet the not yet yeah, yeah we're not there yet yeah. but you know so she's the one who's kind of driving it and then mystique is like she's not some she's not like some like, oh my god i'm helpless she's that's not who she is but then she's still kind of going through the motion of it because it's politics it's a country it's shaping of a kingdom country however way you say it and i feel like i don't think i've seen women in that that role <laughs> like you know I mean- it's a it's never been that way. I, I don't know. Maybe I, I, I wanted to hear what you guys think about the, that. The last time we discussed it. this, I remember that you said something about the a litmus test, right? So if will this this still work if you replace the gay couple by a straight couple? The answer is yes. Will this still work if you replace Mystic by a male character? It will still work. And therefore, this is not, by your definition, a currency of women's mm. suffering I, 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 I and I'm thinking mm. and that's exactly what I was going with because it's like I've never seen women in these kind of role and that's that's what they are doing and I actually almost forgot that they're women which you, yeah. you know what I mean like which, you know, is, which is like which is your point which is exactly the point that you, you were trying to make the first time as right. in like Yes, in this case, it happens to be a gay couple who are and female, but it doesn't have to be. And I forgot that it is a female and a gay couple in that sense. Right, which so, is not to say that we don't want... I, I think it's important to kind of make a decision, which I know that I, we're making, but I want to make it 
clear that clear. we're not saying that a woman shouldn't have anything distinct to her identity as a woman in the story. We're saying that there should be no threats to her that feel like they could only ever be threatened at her because she's a woman. Like, is, mm-hmm. is she being hung, pulled by her hair and dragged around? No. Is her sexual exactly. agency being threatened? No. Are they threatening to take away her ability to be a mother? No. no. She's, she's being treated like another character place. and she's still uniquely a woman yeah. who's in love, who has a mission. And I, and please correct me if I'm wrong, Freya, but I know that we talk about this a lot and I feel like that's the distinction. Right. And then I was kind of like, and that I think is something that I was obsessing with throughout this because I'm uh, like, yes. Like in X-Men 6, um, the resurrection of Destiny was with help from Mystic. And mm-hmm. in yeah. this and case, it is it is a it is more of a tragedy because Mystic failed in her mission mm. to get Destiny back. Assuming yeah. assuming Eric and Xavier is going to keep their words. Right. And They're the thing not. is it's so and the thing is and this is something that I was I was so I was like, ooh, this is how you create a terrorist. Mm. Like on many levels. Is, <laughs> like Mystique on is a terrorist, many Dr. Gregor has a terrorist, Nimrod has a terrorist. It's we like, created a lot of terrorists. Helps. Yeah, this is how you do it. Because the thing is, first time, they were like, oh, yeah, 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 this is a character in the state. This time, they put it on her. Like, it was your fault. And that is how you create. Like, I was like, well, I want to I want to respond wow. to basically yeah. one thing from each of you, and I would don't bite your nice variant cover. No, don't do that. Don't eat it. Don't eat it. Don't eat it. That's expensive. Um, and, and then I want to move us forward necessarily because there's four other sections which I'll yeah. which I'll detail in a second. So I want to kind of work backwards. Something that Freya said, like, oh well, they're the racist bigots. I don't care about them. I I think you gotta as a critical reader, I glaze on stuff about characters who I think are assholes all the time. But don't, mm-hmm. I don't, and I'm not saying Freya did this. This is like kind of my message to everybody. You can't let that distract you from seeing the thematic stuff in the work. I absolutely want them yeah. all to get sucked into a black hole. Screw them all. Screw Orcus. <laughs> screw their love story. Screw everything. But absolutely she was being paralleled with Mystique. So as much as I personally tend to want to glaze on the Orcus stuff, sometimes when characters are doing immoral, questionable things and you want to hate that character, if you want to be a critical reader, you've still got to tune in so that you can understand how they fit into thematic things, which is kind of our whole thesis in Crushing Comics. And I'm not saying that Freya didn't, but I just want to be careful because there's always this line between the character did something immoral, so now I don't care about the character and still being able to understand the character's significance to the story. They still have significance the story we just don't give a shit what their fate is right okay it, no, yeah. I, I, and that's exactly what i was saying yeah. because the thing is i have read way too many world war ii story <laughs> like way yeah. too many <laughs> so i have learned not to care about races like, yeah. i don't care like about like nazis that they are love stories and everything you were still a nazi like right. you're still like, I, like you know, when so people are like I, oh it made me feel something for that nazi i'm like really but then when people yeah, are like Oh, I see how the feeling I was supposed to have about the Nazi parallels my feeling I was supposed to have about this other character. I'm like, ah, that, you know, it's like and ca- it makes kombucha the- girl, you know, um, um, meme. It's like, oh, you know, when I, <laughs> okay. So it makes the, it makes the conflict more interesting. Yeah. Just on like a primal level. So then the second thing yeah. I want to go to, sure. I, I forget which one of these was Harry's. This one was Tyler's, I think, which is that, um, uh, interventionism creates more problems, right? Like we started yeah. with this idea that Krakoa yes. was going to be sacrosanct. It was going to be an, a, a bubble. They were going to do their thing. But actually Krakoa is more interventionist than X-Men perhaps has ever been in their history. Mm-hmm. This is an X-Force X-Men. I mean, I remember when when 
you know, Professor Xavier was the open hand and Magneto and Cable were the closed fist or, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. And like, every, it's all closed fist now. Everybody wants to strike with every hand. But when you intervene, you create your own kind of future problems. And I think way, way, way to Hickman's credit to make this not only something that's happening in X-Men, but it's coordinated against the entire line. And Tyler gave an amazing list, I think better than I've heard anybody else sum it up recently. And then finally, so something Harry said, it's kind of like... uh this also goes to the creating terrorist thing. It's kind of like oppression follows. Like you, mm-hmm. not everybody who's oppressed is going to oppress someone else. That's that's like a fallacy. Mm-hmm. It's like saying abusers always, you know, are, were abused. Mm-hmm. That's not always true. Some abusers are just yeah. terrible, terrible people. Assholes, um, yeah. But uh, there's definitely a little bit of a thematic thing here about how kind of like each oppressed person oppresses someone else deserve it or not like orcus isn't really going through oppression orcus is a bunch of bigots who needs to be wiped off of space but basically you know xavier and magneto are holding withholding something from mystique so that she'll go and withhold somebody from somebody else so they will with it's it's a domino chain um and i think that that's something interesting thematic too so look there's four sections of this issue (laughs) there's then there's now there's the orcus forge and then there is the final page and the teaser which I'm just going to make you all wait in anticipation (laughs) until we get there. So the then, the council has given Mystique basically carte blanche on how to complete her mission to destroy Nimrod. Let's not forget, she's a council member. And she goes to Forge with a very inspecific request to make the worst weapon he can make. We're just going to go around one time on this. Tyler, any thoughts on this scene? I mean, the first thing that I... thought about is not really so much um forge creating something uh you know to destroy something is really the relationship between forge and mistake right because mm-hmm. they have some history yeah like Ooh, i mean tell me well destiny me. destiny was the f- first one who told forge that they will be together and that was all the way back in uncanny x-men 255 um right before she was killed yeah by, right before Mora you know, murdered her with legion yeah yeah <laughs> so that's, that's the thing that's- <laughs> I was going to say Legion killed no. until no. Peter is like <laughs> no. Legion was okay, a murder no. weapon okay yeah we're about to find out for sure <laughs> and then after that when Forge um, I mean Forge when Forge proposed to Aurora and you know and the whole mass thing uh, <laughs> messy thing Forge basically took uh, Mystic away when she was crazy back in uh, Uncanny X-Men 289, 289, 290. Yeah. Um, yeah. And um, I think somewhere down the line when Caramon came back, Forge was also uh, Mystic support tech when she was uh, part of Xavier's um, underground agent or something, uh, some undercover uh, mutant agent. And did you say that so, romance so, late in X-Factor? I like kind of remember that, but I'm not sure yeah. if it's my imagination or not. No, no, definitely at one at one point, definitely Forge loves uh mm. m- mistake and you know and and basically basically um they are, the 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 threat running through usually is that oh destiny destiny was right. Harry, anything about the then scene? It was like interesting shading and kind of setup of just these uh kind of more pragmatic characters who have been in different places just kind of commiserating and kind of seeing each other seeing each other on a more kind of relatable level they definitely feel like two characters of a type in that sense even though i don't know the history as well as as y'all do <laughs> um, oh sorry one more thing is that um when Fosh talk about the gun that took away you know the, the 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 weapon that took away powers 
um, that was the gun that he used to took away Storm's power. Although it was meant to take away Mystique's Rogue's. daughter's power, Rogue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's a yeah. lot of connections. There's between... a lot of connection going there. <laughs> For real? Uh, so the thing is, isn't Forge the one who was first time trying to revive Nimrod? Back in, like, before second coming around that time, the Saiwa? I don't recall. Like, when You're the one who just read it. <laughs> Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, was it Forge? It was Forge because New Mutant went to him and he was the one who was tinkering with the Nimrod and then they turned it back on. Mm. Like, that's no, what, so I was, was it him or was it the the um, the pastor? No, no, no. The pastor got it later because the oh, Nimrod left it was before him, that? Yeah, okay. it was like a, there I forgot. was an aspect. So that's one of the reasons. I thought the teller would bring the receipt. Why am I bringing the receipt? I forgot. You're, well, you're a receipt lady now. You've read yeah, it. Good job. No, you re- made it. Your receipt, <laughs> your receipt in the 2000s. I'm oh, like pre 2000s. Yeah. 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 Then in that case, I'll have to go back and read it because I thought that that's one of the reasons that the forge, like, you know, that all the, all the, um, like when she says Orcus, like, you know, it's like, oh, Orcus, 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 yeah, Orcus. Say it. Like, it was like his um, regret about tinkering with Nimrod thing. Like, hmm. Because there was a Nimrod from the future that came and he was tinkering it. And I think he kind of got it to turn it on. And I think that, and so I thought that a lot of that was giving a shade to that. Hmm. Now I have to go back and like, people in the comments, please let us know if we're correct on that or not. Yeah, please. So um, something that I that really stuck out for me here, a few things. One is that Forge, Hickman loves writing characters like Forge. And this little monologue that he gives Forge about tools and, you know, the stick is ambiguous, right? The stick can be a weapon or it could be a tool it's... or you could turn it into something else. And I love this take that Hickman have, has on Forge, which is he's not the first one to ever think about it this way, mm. but it's a good take nonetheless, which is that when Forge creates something, it's distinct. It, whether it's a weapon or a tool, it's not meant to be an ingredient in somebody else's cake. It has a use, it's specific, and it's optimized. And I'm like, well, you know, Hickman loves writing these sciencey inventory characters. And, you know, I, I think that this is a really steely take on Forge when he's been, pa- been played a little bit more for comedy in X-Force, so I appreciate that. However, this mystique, yeah. I was very confused about. Like, she's one of the most practiced terrorists in the history of X-Men. She's one of the leaders of the mutant race. She comes to Forge and she's like asking these ambiguous questions about about weapons and she's like oh you have so many guns on the wall in a way it kind of felt like an act like a lot of mystique's actions in this issue didn't seem fully genuine to me and i don't know if i'm doing that thing that so many x-men fans have been doing recently where they're like well they're not the real character because they're not acting the way that i like or maybe hickman's just a terrible writer i mean that's been proven to me again and again over the years i don't know <laughs> but um it's just it's not mystique like mystique would walk in and be like i've already researched the schematics of the station um i'm thinking this this or that but you're the inventor and forge could have probably still said the same monologue to be like well you're talking about sticks i'm talking about a weapon with a specific purpose so even as i went back and reread it and read it, read it again it's just the writing mystique was just really puzzling to me and also this is where the art really right off the bat i was like what is going on with this mystique art she but we don't looks. want to pile on on mobley and to sunny goes credit great colors here and and throughout the issue as well so does Mystique typically believe in Destiny's like yes. prediction? Almost mm-hmm. to a fault. I would say. Uh, I don't know. Tyler, would you agree I... with that? Yeah. I mean, they, they understand, like both Mystique and Destiny understand that um, what she sees may not be may not be the the real future, but mm-hmm. the two of them could interpret certain things and they will try to steer it towards um, that outcome which they think is going to be beneficial to them. Um, and yeah, they, they often act on it. So, I mean, the, I think this will kind of go into the next next point as well, because I feel like I was thinking that 
whether she's getting more and more like you know unsettled by the fact mm. that Misty, destiny's things are all coming true too real and the thing is that she has like mystique has all this one thing where she's like you know mutant supremacy and stuff and this is peak mutant supremacy than she's ever lived so now she's like am i doing something just because met destiny said something to me once and is this the right thing well, I want to move us on to both now and the Orcus Forge. I don't think we have to do them as separate go-rounds. I just want to introduce them as separate scenes. So the now is Mystique presenting her plan to Xavier and Magneto. And she seems, I don't, is she hesitant? Is she nervous? Xavier calls her out. He says, we have among us other monsters, some who do not lie to themselves about what they are. Only your failure prevents its completion, it being bringing back destiny. So Mystique goes to the forge. She impersonates somebody, one of these kind of like aim-ish scientists that are on hand <laughs> to view the birth of Nimrod. And Nimrod is born out of this woman, Dr. Gregor's want to bring her husband back. She has his memories in a holographic crystal. She puts them in Nimrod and, and he's like, oh, now we can't have babies. So I guess there was one little bit of that sort of thing. But it comes from the man for a change uh, and his impotence. And so, um, and so, but then Mystique tries to blow things up. We realize that Nimrod has infinite replication potential. So he's going to be be able to easily chase her town and get rid of the bomb but in his replication potential he has to also fracture his holographic memory matrix which means every splinter he makes every duplicate he makes he's less erasmus than he was initially and there's three i think four duplicates here and so that creates the erasure of erasmus uh yeah. and mystique's plan fails so we'll start with faria here what do we think about the now scene that sets her on this mission and then the execution of her mission or lack thereof? Right. So the one thing that, I mean, I was talking about the words mean something. Yeah, I want, I've really been waiting to hear what that is. Like, I, I and it takes my, took my breath away, is like, this is what Magneto tells Mystique, who at some point we're on the same side of the mutant, like, you know, what to do with the mutant, right? So this is what he says. This isn't servitude. Mad Raven, we had a, we made a deal. So they call, he calls her Raven, not Mystique, not her, which her was name. yeah her mutant name, which is something. And then anytime you want to you want to end it, you can simply let us know, and that simply let us know that you are not the right tool for the job. Going back to the forge scene, right tool. Yeah, like she's a citizen. She's a council. She's on the council. Woman. She's a counsel for this new mutant. And then he reduced her to a tool. Like, this is how they see it. At that point, I'm like, oh, North Star was right. Don't tell I was me really that. wondering if you were going to re reassess your like, North Star opinion based see, on like, that scene. To, to that point, me. right? I would say that um, the reaction from Magneto and Xavier is really not so much that... Uh, is due to the fact that Mystique called them out for plausible deniability. Oh, so, yeah. No, yeah. No, no, so so basically, they got, they are not um, prepared for someone to call them out for their, <laughs> for, for, for their fakeness and therefore mm -hmm. they react like in such a strong way. So I, th I mean, I think, yeah, I mean, it is, 
it but is bad. But that's the thing. But that's the thing. That's that's not the that's not a good sign of leaders. Like, no, that's it's not. not a good. And that's that's one of the reasons. Like a part of me are like, yeah, North Star, don't tell. But then part of me is like, well, what are you doing to remove these people from the council? But I was like, gonna so that, say. So that's that's <laughs> yeah. that. Like you know, there was like two version of it that I was like, Ugh, like right tool. So there was that. And then the thing is like the whole thing with the replication, and I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, Nimrod. Like you know, we have seen it before. <laughs> like you know, and then and she. The, the fact that she fails, I I kind of liked that in a way because it almost feels like Mystique never fails. Like, you know, in her missions, it's like she always gets what that needs to be done, especially if it's a uh, if it's a mission of destruction, she would always end it. But for the I feel like one of the first time I've seen where it didn't work. It like she she didn't like you know she would she didn't get through she didn't it didn't work for her and it was a huge implication because this was the one that she really needed to win. Yeah, this was the one, Harry. This was the um, one. yeah. So my favorite moment in the book by far is just the uh, three panel beat where uh, Nimrod Erasmus comes alive and he's hugging his wife. Oh, and that just was just like I'm so happy. He's just like I'm so happy, and also that's a mutant. Yeah, like, it's like a very funny. It's a really good beat. It's super good. Um, I'm just kind of curious though, and maybe I'm not thinking this through, but like they've had a portal for like a while uh, to this to Orcus. So why did she get here late? Because or was she, was, she waiting? She was waiting no. for the... The, the creation create, of the bomb. Yeah. Of, to of the bomb. singularity. Was there a reason that... Okay, okay. I was just going to say, like, why did she... Like, was there a way to, like, get here earlier and, like, stop this in a different way? I, I maybe No, I'm, like, she, she not was waiting for enough. it. No, yeah. No, she, because the thing okay. is, in this, this happened the next day after yeah. issue six. So the, the beginning, the uh, beginning, okay. the right, then, right, right, the right. then follows X-Men 6. And I also yeah. got the, the sense that that might not be the first time she like surreptitiously. Do you think it's the only time she went in? Like, because she doesn't want to explode the bomb too far ahead of him being created as Nimrod, because then she might just have to go and blow something up again, right? In Hoxpox, it's like they blew it up too soon. Yeah. So I definitely got the sense that like she's maybe dropped in a few times. I don't know how they would have missed the gate all those times. Maybe she destroys the gate and regrows it every time. I, I don't know, but it didn't really make sense to me that this is the, she just mm. happened to go through the gate. And she's like, oh, it's the Nimrod birthing ceremony. I'm here at just the right time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I that was, mean, that's that that's, how, that's how I took it that she knew that today's the day. Like that's, that's how she was. Well, then get there, there 30 minutes there. earlier. That was, that was my, that, that was the, 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 the plot fallacy. You're right. That so I mentioned. Oh, Tyler, talk about earlier. Because I, mm-hmm. I, I, I feel like, if you are going to create a singularity, which is basically a, a localized black hole, um, to basically suck the whole orchestra station in, there's no reason why you have to do it in proximity of Nimrod. Why is Mystic yeah. in that room? Well, because it's, lo- it's super localized though, right? Isn't that the whole point of it? Yeah, but it's localized um, to the extent that it will basically suck the entire station in. I think that was mentioned in the plot. Uh, okay. I mean, in the, in the words. So... So my my question is that why does it have to be near Nimrod? Okay, given well, that maybe there's a yeah. reason why that's the thing. The other policy is that it has been weeks since she planted the or or even months, I don't know, but let's say weeks <laughs> since she planted the gate and no one actually discovered it. I think I thought that the minute she planted it, like just no one's gonna see it, huh? Yeah. Well, it's a huge, huge. Like I'm telling you, there are certain things in a, in my plan that I don't know. 
I don't know how to get there. <laughs> so I feel like it was like really like in a well, place where they didn't know. Yeah, might have been behind a cabinet it. facing a wall. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you don't know. Oh, she she knew she knew Nimrod could detect mutants. Why is she there? Like, why does she has to be like in the presence? Carrying a bag, I mean, oh, she has to carry the bag because that's the bomb. But but why is she there? Like that was my question. I mean, I don't have a whole lot to say about this. I think it it accomplished the thing it needed to accomplish. Mystique had to fail because or, or not because she wasn't going to get Destiny well, back either way. Nimrod had to be born, and some it kind of just was like a the the pieces were set and the pieces got moved. I I, and, I don't have critiques of it. I don't think it was bad or good. I just think it kind of like transpired. Well, that's a, that's the problem. Well, I was like, oh man, Nimrod's coming back. I bet this will be good. And the issue is like, yeah, Nimrod's back. All right. <laughs> so no, what but, do you want him I, to but, do? But this is this is like the execution is what I'm referring. But this to. is Nimrod but. coming back because Krakowans yes. interfered. Yes. Like that's the I difference. Agree. I think that's because good. if I mean my assumption is that if Nimrod has the humanity, um, I mean that guy's a soldier. I'm not sure if he's a racist. Um, yes, he is. Why would he be a soldier yeah. for orcas? I mean, that's the okay. I want to get into this for a second because part of me, and this is what I mean about like sympathy for characters who are evil characters. Part of me is like, oh, the X Men took away his humanity. Now Nimrod's going to be a killer robot. It's all their fault. And then like, hold on a second. This yeah. guy's already part exactly. of a, of a racist eugenicist <laughs> organization. You. If he had his humanity, he would just be a worse villain. He would be, you know, like at least Nimrod mm. doesn't have a personality. You know, so I don't know, Tyler. I mean, who? What's the worst villain? Erasmus is Nimrod, or Nimrod is Nimrod? No, I Nimrod mean, seems pretty cool. He's not like ag- aggressively racist so far. <laughs> as far as only racist in concept. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, and and it, you never know because given that he's like a fully like you know just a logic, maybe by logic he will come to the conclusion that mutants should be around because they are the next round of evol- evolution. True. I mean, that's the thing that. That's the uh, the part which yeah. I kind of like was No, I just have a thing I want to talk about. So I would go first. <laughs> okay. Go ahead. <laughs> no, I just say Yeah, yeah, that's the whole point. Maybe if they it's it's not that the you just like got me there. It's not that the X-Men ruined it for themselves. Nimrod was always gonna ruin it for themselves. By creating a Nimrod that's not personable, they're actually making a Nimrod that ultimately is gonna maybe decide the humans are disposable too, which is gonna create the thing that Mora experienced in life six. The chummy, funny, clever Nimrod that we saw in life nine might have been the Nimrod with. Erasmus, because he's Nimrod with a personality. But the post human humans are people who mm. decided, like, none of this matter. Oh. Yeah. The post humans actually used the Nimrods because and, I remember the line where they said that Sentinels brought us years. Nimrods brought us decades. Yes. So, so they are bad. They're still bad. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean. Okay, that's I mean, the whole what's, point. Like, they're gonna decide that everything is bad. I give that. I, I, I'll give you the point. I mean, I, I'm. I mean, I, <laughs> I, I, I caught myself. Yeah. This point week in Korea, Korea, I didn't what even, level I didn't even of racist it. do we want? <laughs> yeah. No, that's what fascinating. Level? I hadn't. Yeah. <laughs> See? See? I, this is why I love this man. This is yeah. why I, he's my soulmate because he makes these things that happen. But the thing is, okay, so. Can we just go to the last page where it's like that blind yeah, man was that the blind man is just there devil the sun and yeah you know stuff so the thing is I feel like he's a who is too. devil who is devil that's that's my question that's here the guy with on the my notes eyes, right no 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 what I meant is that who is he like Where he's he's apparently a new character 
but Space I feel races. like he may not be a new character. I feel like he, he might be someone, like someone that we are supposed to know, but we, but Hickman have not like revealed his true identity He's yet. He's kind of got a Baron, Baron Strucker vibe to me a little bit personally. A little bit. But the thing is, like, he has that. He also care. has that. He, he has the like. He's blind. He's yeah. blind. The back, and then all the precogs are blind in Marvel Universe are yeah. like blindfolded. <laughs> you know, so that's one of the reasons I'm like, this guy is a precog, and it's probably a mutant. And you know, it's like, and how many? Okay, here's also another thing. Mystique is pretty much Lady Wolverine. She has way too many kids just spread across the world. At least so what, this guy three, could be four. Yeah. So the wait, she really? Might, Yes, Nightcrawler, yeah. <laughs> Graydon Creed, yeah. um, a child she may Red or may Man. not have had with Xavier, and a child well, that in was the erased. future I think that was that erased she... out of the. Tunnel. It happened at one point, though, and a it child that she has in the future yeah. with Wolverine, right? And then she yeah, adopted right. Rogue, and yeah, Rogue, so that, and, she, and Rogue is like you know her adopted kid, so it's like this guy probably her child for all. <laughs> <laughs> because remember how Claremont kept on wanting to make. Uh, Nightcrawler, Destiny, and her kid, but they wouldn't let him. He is. Him. Hickman, come on, Hickman. Make it happen. So maybe this one Claremont. is. Bring it home. Maybe this, maybe this one is. Like, he's like Arian's kid. Oh. Like, you know, like, it's like, that's how yeah. he got the power. Like, Irene and Mystique's kid. Well, uh, so, so I want to, I want to move us along. First of all, I just want to say, um, I think that's Mobley's best page in the whole book. The page with the blind guy looking out into the sun. And Sunny Go's best yeah. page in the book. Look at the subtlety of the furrowed brow on the Omega Sentinel and the little glisten on her chin, the uh, on her cheek, the little furrow in her chin. And then look at all the lines that Mobley gets into his jowls as he laughs. Like, that, I, that is is good. I don't mean to say that Mobley's a terrible artist. I, I just think he kind of whiffed a little bit of Mystique. But now... Yeah, okay. we've, he just need to get used to the characters. Yeah. So look, we've yeah. survived a long, long discussion. Now we get our dessert. Because after Mystique fails and gets resurrected and they're like, no destiny for you, Charles and Magneto <laughs> goes to everybody's favorite no place to let Mystique know that they're... Or to let uh, Mora X know that they're continuing to uphold the no precogs rule. And Mora is hanging out with her legs crossed and her little and her little lab lab jacket slash blazer, reading the multi-volume set of the diaries of Irene <laughs> Destiny. <laughs> Freya, Never please has a scene. collect your <laughs> law your applause. Your glee. <laughs> Never has a scene had more of like kids going to their mom because they broke something like energy versus like we screwed up. What's going on? Uh-oh. We need help. Like, you know, <laughs> mom, um, yeah, like, we let oh, loose no. a killer AI. <laughs> and yeah. the fact that uh, Magneto had his helmet in his hand, that made the scene for me. That made the scene for me. Like he had the he- helmet in his hand and that coming from Magneto is like huge mm. for me. And then yeah. she's just sitting there and reading Diary of Vibin. Yeah. Like, that is something. So what do we feel about this? Do you think she has every volume? It looks... <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Which one books. I think she's got a bookshelf like this bookshelf behind me of, of <laughs> Destiny's writing. <laughs> no, that's, I think that's been the only side 13 volume. This whole time. Yeah, that's but you know, that other errata letters, postage uh, stamps. Maybe. I think yeah. she, she was probably collecting Destiny's trash the whole time. 
Like which one of them are, some of them may have went out of print and she couldn't get it. Uh, but here's my question, question about that though. It's like, did Destiny write the true thing? Did she foresee that her diaries would be used by some, by Moira? So did she wrote the real thing? Like, well, you know, and here's the thing. If she's been reading all of these diaries all this time, then she must have known House of M will happen. She must have known all the other things that happen, like, you know, between, like, all of this. So she decided not to intervene. No, but the thing with the, thing with, um, the diary is that it is not written in words mm. only. It is also drawn. It is also scribbled. It is also in foreign language, um, the way Mystic, see, uh, the way Destiny saw it. Um, so, so it's not, it's not going to be like so simple as that. Oh, five years later, this happens. Uh, okay. So it's going to be like, it's going to be like, oh, maybe, you know, a Roman letter five and then a picture of something. And then you have to figure out what that picture means. It's like and reading then a Jonathan Hickman comic. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, so that's that's the I think that that was how actually Claremont um defined it when he first introduced um, Destiny's Diaries. Destiny's Diaries. Well, let's add some more wrinkles. Uh, Over top of this scene, there is a mm-hmm. voiceover that is ostensibly Destiny's voiceover to Mystique that she remembers that probably hasn't been con- committed to the diaries for reasons. Which is yeah. when those days come, rem- remember these words: "Bring me back," and if you cannot. If they will not, then burn that place to the ground. And yeah. it's kind of like, is that out of self-interest? Like if they're so stubborn, burn it to the ground? Is it because Destiny knows that she's necessary? Is it because she knows that their um, refusal to bring her back indicates all this other interventionist stuff? Like you you don't know. You don't know. Yeah. So the thing I want to throw in as a wrinkle, and I think we can just keep reacting to this because it's fun. Also, Inferno, but we'll, you know, yes. uh, is uh, <laughs> is this idea of the fates, right? The fates are usually a, a trio of, of women, as we know from Sandman and many, many other things. Mm-hmm. And Destiny is very much being positioned as one of the fates here. I would argue that in her way, Mora is also one of the fates. And it connects yeah, to that thing that we were saying before about like, her past is their future because she's seen so far ahead in the in the timeline mm-hmm. in the fixed timeline of a certain um life is that uh she too has future knowledge and she too in her way is being blinded by kind of being kept in this place and the the trio of of these of these fates typically is the, the crone or the old woman the mother which she absolutely is, especially because she's the mother of this whole idea of X-Men, because she gave Xavier the brainwave and the mother of Proteus, who's creating the resurrections. And then also the maiden or or the young woman, which, which could is? be blindfold. No. No. Who who do you think it is? Is it Emma? Emma Because Fox. based on the Inferno that, art, you think it's Emma? No, I think that's it's possible. Based on the- Based on the 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 uh, the three women, the f- three fate women you were talking about, because the one of them is supposed to be seductress, like you know who seduces, who seduces. Like there's like because the whole point is that women can be put in three categories. That's the whole thing. Like it's like the, you are the seduct seductress, you are the mother, or you are the old woman, the wise old woman. So we have the mother and the crone like down. Like, you know, and so the last one is Emma. Oh, you think it's Emma. Interesting. Like, it has... I don't disagree. I'm just like... like, Yeah, that's... that's Because she's the other one who is like, what is going on over here? 
What's going on? And then this is also a three opposite of Magneto, Xavier, and Apocalypse. Yes. Like, it's like, Ooh, so like there's like, one of them is even blue. Is, yeah, yeah. <laughs> one of them is exactly. So, I, yeah. so, so that's what that's what I am. I was like, and Emma is prominent in the Inferno tease here. Yes, she, if you right, look at the letters N and O, that is Emma. Like she, so, Emma's the other person who is doing the most. Like she's <laughs> causing the most <laughs> things to happen. It's like a, you should have a gala. But then hey, here's here, here's, here's the other half of this whole. If if we take as whether it's thematic or whether it's going to be made super literal that that there is this trio of fates and that Mora canonically is one of them, is there any difference really between Mora and Destiny? They're kind of the same. Mm-mm. No, that's the thing. No, there isn't, and that's why they like like hate. Oh, like. Right. Yeah, it's like <laughs> get your own yeah. stick. This is mine. No, but the, I think the difference is that um, Destiny sees the variant paths, and Moira lift them. Well, I mean, there's a difference in their experience. Yeah, but like they both. I mean, ultimately, why would they not want to work together if Mora's real goal is to make mutants live perpetually? Like, wouldn't Destiny actually be the first person she would want to resurrect? That's like the Destiny thing that... only hates Moro and Moro wants to cure mutants. No, and that's the reason. And that's the reason why Moira does not want to bring Ooh. Destiny back. Because, because we don't know her real goal. Yeah, we don't know her real goal. And we don't I, know. I... And and the fact is also that um, it's not just Destiny. It's like no precogs. Ah. Right. Yeah. When you so... would think that the precogs... I mean, I think we, we we get so obsessed with the bring Destiny back that we miss the larger picture sometimes. Not just the yeah. four of us, but everybody. Blind. Which is like... Blindfold. Yeah, not only is Morris saying that, and Charles and Eric are going along with it. Why? Wouldn't one of the three of them want some precog? Even preogs have to be segregated, or preogs have to stay in, in the no place with Mora. Premogs progs are, are treated like handmaidens, and they have to belong to somebody who could... Like, who oh. knows? But like, why? I'm just saying. There's many other ways to play the no precogs beat. There's a specific reason that the three of them have agreed that they're not allowed. Mm-hmm. Well, I think... I feel like it's not that the three of them agree. It's just Moira forcing their hand. It's like, no, you're not going These to bring These guys are clearly back. bad at this. They should listen to their mom. I mean, mm. my, my whole read <laughs> with this in this whole scene is like, between like the trial of Magneto coming up and Inferno, like, I don't think it's going to be something as basic as like Krakoa is going to fall or burn. I do think Professor X and Magneto are both headed for a bad way. Like this issue, they were kind of fairly irredeemable in my eyes. So yeah. like, I do feel like if not the whole status quo is going to fall, I do think these two. Are I mean, there's, to. there is a lot of things that way of X also mentioned, right? Is, I mean, in, in issue one, didn't they say, uh, not issue one. Um, I think in issue two, mm-hmm. they, they did say something. Um, uh, Spiro basically said that, you know, all these rules are put in place just to make you feel like, there are rules, mm, but yeah. there really isn't any rules that no, there you know, that's applied. Be- yeah. Because they're, they're, this is where they break laws. They're like, yeah, you know, they, yeah. they're breaking their own laws, basically. Yeah, breaking their the, own laws and everything. And and yeah. this is, I think, like Tyler mentioned it. Some one, like Tyler mentioned it is like, well, X of Sword was get rid of Apocalypse. Trial of Magneto will be get rid of Magneto, and yeah. then the next Inferno. one, Inferno. Yeah, and, and then we have our three ladies. And this bring us and, to. The, the last page, right? The, the teaser, Inferno. And if you mm-hmm. look at the code, one corner of the code shows the 
the Krakoan Council. Mm-hmm. And I think the counts, the top left hand corner shows the Krakoan <laughs> Council. So and it shows that um, Apocalypse is gone with the axe, and Jean is gone in the summer with the axe. Mm-hmm. So I feel like you know the Krakoan, um, the the council is going to come into play in a major way, like maybe an upheaval, um, in Inferno here. So and do we think Inferno is going to be a a stat a, a crossover a book? I think I it's mean, Hickman's new book. It's Hickman's new book. No, I, I think talked about okay. It. I think Hickman's new book, new book, right, is embedded in the code under the Inferno, like the I N below it. There's a zero zero X and zero 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 M, right? Mm-hmm. And I think you are meant to think that it is Xavier and Magneto. But remember what X is in Roman, is ten, ten. and oh, what is M, M oh, is one thousand. A thousand. So, yeah, so this is power back? of X. Yes. So I think, <laughs> I think, I think is either um, Hickman writing a Moira book or another Power of X series. Oh, because ten M could be Moira ten. Yeah, it could be that too. That's also, let's not lose that under the Krakoan version of the word Inferno, it says the Books of Destiny. I mean, Destiny. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Like, you know, well, I, the, that is the one that I was like, ooh, and tell me baby? more about this. The baby That's, is uh, Moira's uh, resurrection. Yeah, the, from, the image from of her nice yeah. Yeah. Oh. yeah. And, but, and the thing what? is, like, also because before, prior to this, I also read the in- original Inferno series. I'm like, oh, this has got nothing to do with this. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, <laughs> you, you read the original Inferno? You read Inferno? No, 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 no. I did the summary. You guys, oh, okay. Because uh, I'm reading right now. Don't give me that much, <laughs> that much credit. Um, I'm like, what? Well, because <laughs> the whole plot of Cable with the babies, like, everybody thinks, oh, young Cable's going to go away. Like, it's literally the setup to Inferno and Strife is yet another clone like I th- I think there's maybe some things moving that we as fans are not even completely aware of we've got Charles and Xavier here we have Onslaught just being revealed in Way of X I think to close this here um, there's there's big things afoot and I think it would be a mistake to think that any one of these books is kind of just on its own path I think it's going to be a good thing to break Hickman out of this X-Men book and let him start to write yeah. some of the results of this because yeah. this has been very Dungeon Master's Guide I'm ready for him to write a, an adventure and that's what he, I think he's please yeah. <laughs> that's <laughs> the plan. do something fun <laughs> well I mean do something that maybe all of us would either like or hate <laughs> Well, he's already doing that. I All right, this is more fun. That's the end of our discussion of X-Men number 20. For New Mutants 18, we're going to give our initial reactions. And look, resist the urge to overanalyze. There is a lot to discuss in this issue. Just react. Tyler. <laughs> I, mean, I, I enjoy that Ayala is actually addressing all the issues that we brought up when we discussed the past couple of issues. So that is good. Um, Reese is firing on all cylinders, I think, in this issue as well. So, I really like this book. 4.5, cross out words, out of 5. <laughs> Harry, react! I do not have a ton of experience with karma, so I did not have as much of an emotional hook with this story. I am sorry that said. I really think the craft in this book is excellent. It's still going a little slower than I'd like, but I consider it very pleasant and thought-provoking. I'm going to give it a four out of five. Hmm. Faria, react. Uh, no, I mean, I am a 
sucker for this kind of new mutant story because new mutants I feel like is historically has been stories of like multiple things that were happening and then you kind of come back to each of the different things and the characters are so nice and so good compared to other characters we're not going to talk about and <laughs> it's it's just all about emotion it's all about like you know like ground level what's going on um i was extremely pleased that during one of the crucible scene i recognized every single one of them i'm like i have arrived <laughs> so <laughs> so i would give it a 4.25 um misspelled words words out of five <laughs> i think that this book is a masterpiece mm-hmm. i all right I, there's a couple of little things that we'll get into but um, if you're looking for somebody who knows how to make a great X-Men comic, Vita Ayala and Rod Rice have proven that they do. And I think if you're a fan of uh, Chris Claremont and Bill Sinkovich's New Mutants in the 20s and 30s, and if you haven't read any, any Hawkspox at all, you could just pick this up and love it. Masterpiece. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to start with the main theme, because this theme is pervasive across the whole book. And I, I want to start it out with Freya, and we'll go around the clock. So Freya, it's coming to you first. The main theme is... How has a lack of death changed the rules of society when it comes with what society will tolerate? Society seems to tolerate suffering because it's not death. And if it leads to death, then you get to die, right? Um, should people have autonomy over their own bodies? The answer seems to be no, because if you die, you will. But what happens until you die? The entire issue presents this argument from multiple sides of what happens when you cannot control your own body to make it match your self-image versus this rush that you get of self-actualization when you can control your body to get what you want from your self-image. We see it in many different ways with, with Karma going through the Crucible, with Scout's argument with Cosmar and Anil. Um, There's many different versions of this. So I just want to talk about how do you think death is really affecting um, people's ability to have autonomy over themselves. And is that different than it is in the real world because of this artificial or lack of artificial restriction of, of death, Faria? So it's not the lack of death that is the problem to me. It's the lack of structure, lack of support, lack of understanding of how these things should happen or like how to raise a nation or how to raise a group of children, you know, pretty much. Because I feel like the whole crucible thing, it's one thing to kind of put two sort of like, you know, sort of like people who know how to fight to put it in there so they can fight it out and they can get to whatever they need to do in terms of, you know, what they want to achieve versus it's another thing when you're putting people who can't necessarily fight for themselves and that's the only way they can achieve what they want to achieve like yeah. but it there shouldn't be it shouldn't be this way and i think it's not necessarily the lack of debt that i blame is the lack of education lack of structure lack of infrastructure lack of program that i i'm blaming and the thing is like i we have seen like so many different uh like t- like different mutants throughout this book has been suffering because of it in very individual ways and i am here for it mm. like in in just not necessarily here to watch them suffer but here to watch how this theme gets explored how this kind of and the thing is i've said it again and again death is not the worst thing that can happen to you this is what it is like you know not being Living. able to be in control mm. of your body yeah. not being able to be the person you see yourself as or you know be the person like whether physically or emotionally 
it's this this turmoil of like you know that that is like it's tearing mutants like new yeah new mutants or younger mutants apart so what is there to even fight more for to fight for like what what is she what is she fighting for then let's go to tyler next tyler what do you think about this relationship between death and and bodily autonomy and and self-actualization here when when you mention death and then bodily um you know self-actualization i thought of the movie death becomes her <laughs> where <laughs> you're basically classic. i know yeah. and and they're There's immortal but the no. body doesn't stay like you know harm proof so it kind of tracks in 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 certain ways here um but i mean i i feel like we have spent quite a bit of time talking about this so I, i'm not going to go through everything um i just want to bring up something here where when it was mentioned that Krakoa is you know when i think um um uh kama was telling tran that oh Krakoa is second chance you know and blah 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 so if that's the case why should it only be for some members mm. why it's america should- <laughs> well, I think that really well, ties into something that Sperrier has Dr. Nemesis talk about in the first issue yeah. of Way of X, which is that when it's it's the hegemony of the powerful, right? It's it's for powerful members. It's for members who are trained in battle. It's for members yeah. mm-hmm. who do conflict. And I mean, before I hand it over to Harry, there's two really interesting shades that, although they're part of the plot that we'll get into, it's impossible to separate from this theme, which is mm-hmm. that... Um, Karma gets to enter the crucible on the behalf of her brother who doesn't have a body. So does that mean he doesn't have a power? And he like, well, how is that different than Cosmar or or no girl? Right. And then Karma comes out of the crucible to many fans notice because we've had this question all along still with her um, mechanical cyborg, whatever you want to call it. Like, yeah, uh, which she didn't have to. But clearly that's part of how she sees herself and she maintained it rather than changed it. Mm-hmm. So that, but, but she had the privilege to make that discussion, that decision for herself because she had the privilege to be in the crucible because she has the privilege, even though she's not seen as a combatant of being in this upper crust of warrior class right. inhabitants of Krakoa. So is it because she already paid her dues for the mutants all this time? So now therefore she's considered to be one of the better, like better tool as Magneto mm. would have called her, called his citizens too. Well, I mean, part of it, I think, uh, okay, part of my explanation as to why uh, Kama came back with her leg, her prosthetic leg, is because this is not about Kama. This is about Tran. Oh, such a mm. good take. So, yeah, so Kama doesn't get a choice. Yeah, she is doing it on behalf of Tran um, because Tran is, you know, not there. To, there's no physical body, so so she is, you know, fighting on behalf of Tran, and her resurrection is just a byproduct of the whole crucible thing. As the receipt lady for post two thousand, newly a new <laughs> your new crowd, title, yeah, my new title as the receipt lady post two thousand. I it. also saw it as a like they're not going to let her come back because she lost like with both leg because she lost the leg fighting mutant haters like you know fighting like the uh it was um oh my god what's their name uh those guys the purifiers Jairich? well ho- ho- Jairich? hodge stabs yeah, in the leg in this giant exactly. spider body yeah exactly so the thing is like because it's like the in service of 
mutant like you know it was like it's a symbol and the whole point of mm. the, like they're trying to create like that whole war mentality like you know we fought and we survived there like even if she, it was about her like i completely agree with like tyler's point of view that it wasn't about her even if it was about her they wouldn't let her come back with it because she lost that leg in service of mutants before and that needs to be a symbol mm. and the thing is like it kind of looks <laughs> well, I want to take this one level deeper, and if Harry wants to jump in after this, please do, because you haven't had a chance to talk mm-hmm. yet. Um, when I'm talking about this actualization and what's missing, there, the mutants have a lot of tools at their disposal to help people realize what they want to be as themselves, mm-hmm. visually, psychically, right? And and they're giving all of this intervention to karma in order that leads her to this crucible. But then we have this group of new mutants, you know, Cosmar, who who looks like a crazy stuffed animal, Anil, who's a mm-hmm. lizard. Mar- the, no girl who has no body. Rainboy, whose body is is not entirely you know uh, tangible it's all liquid. the time. It's liquid, <laughs> yeah. And like all of these people are like, well, we don't have bodies. Like Tran, <laughs> Tran is psychic and in your brain. Like, we- how is that any different than us? But they're basically being told, well, you don't qualify for death yet. So just keep yeah. having your problem until you qualify for yeah. death. That's it. That's a very interesting standard that's been set up on Krakoa. When you have the tools to let somebody live the life that they want to be living, and you're withholding it for an ultimately arbitrary reason. I don't know. Uh, any Anybody else? You don't have to respond to that. But that's just really what I got from this issue as a whole. Yeah. I mean, that's the that's the whole point when... Um, well, I, I, you know, when um, they they resurrected Malice because she doesn't have a body. Um, and, you know... I was like, what happened to Nogar? Nogar, you know, as um, Cosma point out, pointed out, like, you know, she didn't have a body not because, not from her own actions. Like, her body was, like, basically, re- I mean, she was kind of killed, in a sense. Well, so, once again, Malice, part of this combatant class of mutants, right, who's always been at war, and it's like, if you haven't put, like... You've led the kids down this path to the point of magic letter. Maybe we should talk about that first. Like, why are you restricting them from things that they should receive that the rest of us are receiving just because you didn't bring them up right? So let's go. Let's go right into that magic letter, right? So magic letter is, she basically says, I learned it by watching you. She says, these people aren't soldiers or an army. They're supposed to be citizens in a new nation that has already a pretty well-developed Defense Force, issuing a specific continuation of the thoughts begun by Northstar in X-Factor 9. I mean, I... I it's I the think, best. I think I wrote it. Right? I think you like, did write it. <laughs> yeah, you ghost wrote it. <laughs> this is the most pointed, aggressive, like, I... most valid piece of writing about this entire, like, structure Xavier has put into place. Where it's just like, yeah, where is the school? What are we doing? There is no structure here. And in lack of that, in a society that's prioritizing death and, and like, rewarding change because of death, kids are going to start experimenting and finding other ways to get what they want. And it's exactly. like, it's just, Perfect. it's this interesting, it's like Freya said, just the lack of structure mixed with the the um, the weird kind of like prioritization of certain people yeah. that's creating these, you know, these, these things that feel transgressive and might be, but like, it's definitely like what would happen if you got nothing but time on your hands and creativity and superpowers. And it's just a, gr- and back to the main point, this is just a great page. This is like a great 
just body blow to Xavier, who's just looking worse and worse with each freaking <laughs> issue we've covered lately. Like in the beginning, it was like, ah, you know, maybe he's good. Yeah, maybe you can say really. Now it's like pretty no, damn sure he's. There is there is no ba- there's no maybe with Xavier after yeah. Brubaker did his work on him. Uh, oh, that was that was <laughs> yeah, that incredible. was pointed and that was that was good. Um, yeah. But the yeah. thing is, like, in, but I do say that, and the thing is, like, yeah, I learned this from doing you. Like, what we learned this from watching you, and I'm so glad that it came from magic because mm. it's like the. Mm-hmm. I don't think I would have accept, expected her to write that letter. Like, even though with all the she, we learned in X of Swords that she's not good with word spelling mm-hmm. and this is it kind of that streak kind of continues here and then she's just like just writing this scathing letters and that actually got me also thinking about all the other senior mutants that xavier brought up and i think this is the whole point of generations of like you know gap it's like boomers which are like cyclops jean gray storm those are like boomer mutant versus Mm-hmm. Gen X mutant or like a new <laughs> new like new mutant like true new mutant who are seeing things completely differently and I was just like the whole thing of like who gets like you know why these these kids are not being because first of all they're kids so they're like oh you're kid and you also unfortunately have somewhat useless powers that doesn't help defend like you know with anything so we're not going to help you. And then it's kind of also proves out that, you know, a lot of the time children of, you know, various, like, you know, are pretty much uh, depending on their parents to make the decision for them. And, you know, this is, this is like, but however, as soon as they turn 18, we can send them to war. No problem. So <laughs> it just, it's like a lot of that is just coming into play. But even though they are supposed to be better, they're supposed to be different. And here we are, we're not. Well, and also, here we are. I love that you point out that generational divide. I mean, in the books, they're not supposed to be that much older than each other. We know that's a yeah. sliding timescale thing. Right. But you really that could sense. look as like the original X-Men as, as the ones who are like, if you go to college, you'll get a job. So go to college. <laughs> and, then, and then like the new mutants who were all like teenagers in, in you know, in the 80s who are kind of like the, the Gen X are like, okay, we went to college. It kind of worked for us, but like we didn't get all the happiness you promised. And then yeah. the next one down is like the millennials and they're like, we're still trying to just pay for college. And it's like, it, it really does kind of map until you get to the that's a great read. That's I like looking that. upward at all the other generations being like, this is all just bullshit. None of it works at all. <laughs> and, you, there's and, no map. You're not even trying to take care of us. Everything's more expensive than we can afford. And there's no way to be happy. Thank you so much. And that's that actually is a shocking indictment to other, like, you know, to the, um, the mutants that are always in the movies and are supposed to be like, you know, we're supposed to love and care about. Uh, they were given chances to be in the council and then they just leave the councils because it's not com- we're not comfortable here. Yeah, Versus, kind of we would rather just have the an X-Men team screw trying yeah, to be judge sovereign rulers. Yeah, we're just going to do like, this uh, over here. But the well, thing is, like, if you don't step up, and then do it. Guess who's gonna make your decision but, but, for but, you? But do do remember <laughs> that that it wasn't it wasn't Jean saying I quit. It was like, well, if you leave and do this thing, you you have to quit the council. True. And yeah, she's then like, I think I have to do this thing for the good of yeah. the island. And they're like, well, if yeah. you walk out that door, yeah, yeah and then then don't go. Then don't find another way. Do try it's harder. Like you make more. Ch- <laughs> It's like you can do better as an actual, like, in politics and actually part of, like, the power-making levers rather than punching an alien on Otherworld. Yeah. <laughs> it's well, like, yeah, because... Throw one more the, layer. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Because here's the thing. No, here's the thing. You are different now. Do not think like a hero. 
you are a politician. Yeah. So yeah. you have to think like that. Jeez, so you that's have to be great. Like, you know, <laughs> Like, yeah. no, but wrong. but you okay. know that sure. you know that Jean cannot be a politician because you have read X Men Red. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. <laughs> so focusing okay. still on the logic, the other thing okay. I seem to be at the perfect pace in my my household read. To, I, Hickman must have read all this stuff like two years before me because all of the things are coming to roost as I read the issues. Literally <laughs> two days ago, the day this came out, I read New Mutant seventy three, which is when Ileana returns from the original old Ileana back to Kid Ileana. And a lot mm -hmm. of points are made in that issue, strikingly using Rain, who has a big role to play here, that just because Ileana went through this six years of horrible abuse in, in Inferno to make this confident current warrior, it doesn't mean she deserved that. And it doesn't mean given the chance that we should make her have to live that life. This is in one of the first resurrections in a way. They basically mm -hmm. let the current dark child be killed so that this the seven-year-old dark child can live again and and experience life the way she ought to. So whether there's a lot of complications as to what this magic is and what she remembers and what she doesn't have that I'm sure Freya remembers best better than the rest of us because she's read it recently. But like that's why it really <laughs> hit for me to magic to be the one to write this letter. She's like, not only did you put me through X-Men training, but one version of me grew up in literal hell. And I'm telling <laughs> you that this is not the way to, to go about creating um, well-adjusted human beings who have access to happiness. The the, and then yeah. the the other other aspect of that is like the way magic is looking at it because of all the suffering that she has gone and she's trying to do something better for right. like you know fellow young mutant honey badger or scout and if you should call sure honey badger is such a honey badger yeah honey badger is also bringing up pretty much the same point mm -hmm. that I have gone through all of this I know even though I mean is she the best person talk I mean, about she... it, that's different but. It's like she, there's like that aspect of there too. Like these are two people who have gone through things against their will, which are the only thing they pretty much knew for the longest time. They had to unlearn it, become different people. And now they're trying to help younger babies. Let's, let's jump right to that scout discussion. We can come back and pick up things from the crucible yeah. because it is a loaded discussion. Nobody's right or wrong. It's a lot of shades of no, gray. It's really good in that way it's like mm. a very finely tuned debate it is i mean scout is actually the is is really the standout character here um mm. in ayala's run i think because she's very sensitive to how everyone's feeling even though she herself is feeling lost she's like oh you know i can't i can't go talk to laura she she's dealing with her own stuff um, you know, and yeah. that's why hypothetically I'm coming to you. And she knows how to suck up to like big boys. And then, <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I just want to give like Scout a big hug and tell her like everything is okay, you know, even though it's not. Oh. But, um, and that's how much Ayala's writing has, has, um, made me care for, you know, um, Scout, Honey Badger, even though Tom Taylor did like a great job great great job um introducing her and developing the relationship between um laura and her but here i i mean i think honey badger is um developing into a really sensitive a really fully you know uh i mean it's just an advancement of a character from that run and Something. it's like she's becoming her own person like mm. it's not connected to Laura anymore. She's no. becoming her own person. Yes. But can we talk about Big Brother Proud Star? Like, <laughs> like mm. I mean, oh, the, the, I it, 
I actually kind of there's there's twice I cried. Uh, one was when he's like, follow your instinct, hypothetically, you know, and she's like, oh really? Like I mean, she was like ready to. She was so shocked, and I love it when like adults are trusting the kids' guts,、yeah. and they're telling the kids to trust your instinct. And it was just like I don't know. I mean, it it really brought tears to it, my eyes. It's like a it's such like a form of respect. Just saying, like I see you fully, and I'm gonna say、mm-hmm. that you whatever you think is best will be okay. Yeah. And there's also this parenting thing. I mean, it's also probably a management thing too, but specifically parents of <laughs> don't mock the behavior you're encouraging. Like if you're trying to get your kid to. Come to breakfast on time, out take in their day clothes rather than their PJs. If they do that, even if it took them five minutes extra, don't be like, "Look who came to breakfast all dressed up," because like、mm-hmm. you're you're penalizing them for the behavior you've been encouraging, right? And it's hard because we're sarcastic, funny people. We want to make the kind of comments we see in media, and that's the way that people talk to each other in media. But like, if you say that to a kid, then the kid's like, "Well, great, I'm damned if I do, damned if I do it. I tried to do this hard thing, and somebody kind of batted me away for doing the thing that." That was hard for me. Here, even it's funny because Proud Star is being ministered to by Danny to be like, get in touch with your feelings. But he has this kind of perfect moment of parenting where he's like, "I hear you. You're valid. It's totally okay that you came to me with this question, even if you're going to say it's hypothetical when we all know that it's not. And you've got to just trust yourself. I can't give you an answer. I'm like, man, I feel like I if I parent as well this week as we're parenting here, I'm having a good week. <laughs>、um, and then not only that, he also offered his help. He's like, do you、mm. need help? But you don't、and、have she, to take the help. Yeah, yeah but, but it's do, here. Yeah, yeah, but it's here. And then like Jimmy, and I'm like, it's so wholesome. Jimmy, <laughs> it's such a wholesome、so、good. scene. Yeah. No, I mean it's good, and and okay. I mean it's also good because Reese drew the expression,、mm-hmm. body language, perfectly.、Yeah. I mean, yeah, just、Reese、look at the way the the way Scott was like,、oh, "What me? No, I I said this was <laughs> hypothetically." I was like, "Yeah,、uh, like, yeah." I mean, you've、know, criticized Reese for not going hard enough on the faces in the previous. Some issues occasionally, but when somebody's in the foreground having emotions here, he really renders it. There was another book out this week. It's not a Marvel book. That was all about smiles. The whole theme of the book was smiles, and the artist wasn't even doing the features on the faces. I'm like, how do you do that disservice to your writer who's written this amazing script about smiles and not draw the smiles right? But like <gasps> Reese, like really leans into this. There's one thing that gets said in that advice-seeking conversation that I really think crystallizes a lot of the things in this book thematically. Just because we all want this to work. Doesn't mean we close our eyes to what got us here, which I think is like the same thing of magic writing the letter. She's like, okay,、mm-hmm. you made some people who are self-sufficient. Let's not say that just because we've succeeded in the past that we're beyond criticism. So we have like some of these adult characters who like have gone through this actualization. Has have been, I mean, if you look at Magic and Warpath, these are characters who've been through some stuff, some angst,、mm-hmm. some some you know, Warpath was a villain for a while, but. They've kind of like come through it, and and they actually have the power to coach these kids. But now let's take it to Scout scene with the other kids when she finally does come to confront them.、Uh, there's really interesting arguments on both sides, and it's kind of like nobody. It's one of these things where nobody has the lived experience of anybody else, and you can all be going through tough things, but it doesn't、yes. mean your tough answer is the tough answer for someone else. Scout says people didn't leave their bodies behind in in the boneyard body garden. For others to use them as shells, because as a clone, she is really attuned to this idea that having a body that you can call your own matters. It's a right, 
And she never was given that right. She was never given the opportunity. She's in a Lara body, effectively. And she's having to decide how to be herself, knowing that she can almost look at Lara and say, oh, look, here's what my body is going to look like in X number of years, because that's I'm the same body. So so Scout is really approaching this from the sense of like, it matters that you're unique. I wish I could be unique in some ways, but I'm living with it. Then on the other side, you have Cosmar and also Anil, who are arguing that people yeah. who are comfortable in their own bodies have no right to dictate how others should want to feel about changing or escaping mm -hmm. theirs because they have bodily mutations. They didn't have agency over those mutations and they see having a unique body as a curse rather than a blessing. They would rather have a body that's rubber stamped or a clone or anything to get away. Neither of these people are wrong. They have both surmounted incredible difficulty, but the solutions they're each looking for run counter to what the other one has or wants. It's it's so beautifully nuanced and just, you know, the one side just being like, you know, wanting to change their bodies and not being allowed to by the society. That's like hardly even subtext. That's just pretty it's much text. on the page. Yeah. It's just text <laughs> at this point. Yeah. And it's just incredibly measured and thoughtful. And like, you're right that no one's wrong, but like, you just cannot help but feel for, for both of, you know, for everyone. It doesn't, I mean, it doesn't help that like one side is might be getting worked by the, the shadow King, but you know, <laughs> point I don't, valid though. yes. Yeah. And I don't mean this. I don't, I do not mean this like as a, as a burn. I sincerely do. You know, I, I don't know how this arc will end in the past. I've been kind of like wanting to hurry it along at this point. I fully just accepted and enjoyed that. It is just a book about debates and I want this <laughs> arc to end with Gabby debating the Shadow King. I don't want to see any powers. I want them to talk it out because that would actually be like a nice continuation of this, uh, which I swear isn't an insult. I really enjoy that about this book. It's the most, for, uh, there's a lot of thoughtful books in this lot and this whole line, but mm -hmm. this might be the top. This I think this is the top of all of it. It's the most like comprehensive in what it's trying to say and all the ways it's approaching uh, its many themes. Yeah, I mean, I'll argue that this and this is this and Way of X, uh, yeah, basically be the tackling the themes um, like head on and not and not even like um, doing a surface game. <laughs> they're they're mm -hmm. diving right in yes. into it. So so I kind of like it a lot. Um, I mean, the thing is that the reasoning behind the reason the reasons given by both groups are are right in their own. I mean, mm -hmm. in in some ways, I just I I mean, it's just that the approach to it is also both not correct in some ways. That's the problem here, right? Like we both we understand where they're coming from, and we also can see how certain things are not right. I mean, why why would you want to swap into a dead body? That's one thing. <laughs> well, they're they're just they're messing around. They're at that point because there's no other answer that's been given. Exactly. To them because which, you know, is like, you know, from like our traditional like view of morality and, you know, Gabby's like that is a that feels wrong. That seems invasive and intrusive. But mm -hmm. like, you know, they do mention this. This might be science. Now, I don't feel yeah. like that's like a fully realized defense, but they are clearly in this whole other headspace because they don't have any other options. Yes. I mean, Green Boy isn't wrong, though. This is an experiment. And it if, is. And if um, Prodigy could do experiments on that body, why can't we? And, and it's, it's you know, like, they clearly the, you know, Cosmo and all of them, they're clearly, like, they're a little shaded by the Shadow King here. Not not literally, but they're clearly mm -hmm. in, in, the, in the wrong slightly or in a sense. But then, you know, Gabby is, 
she just got this pep talk from uh from jim from the uh, who she just talked to jimmy jimmy that's right and james so she's like you know maybe coming about this a little bit more stern and forceful than she should and be not listening to them as much because Mm -hmm. she's just been told like well you know what they have faith in me i'm gonna take my approach fully and it's you know there there's i don't i found that interesting that like you know it's a it's a sweet moment but then it's being applied in this way that isn't really uh productive in a sense well it's also creepy though i want to be careful too by like putting too much on the whole they're teenagers they're experimenting if they would just be allowed to do the crucible which many of them are willing to do this would all be resolved like they could come back not with not with the moment that kind of i mean uh, questionably because anil is still going to be anil and still have anil's power he could go through the crucible a hundred times. He's probably going to look like a lizard. That's just his mutant power. Whereas yeah. then you have Cosma, who's like, is it really my power? Or is it because in my first manifestation of my power, I didn't understand it and I couldn't control it. Maybe if I had a second chance to manifest my power, this wouldn't happen. So even within the group of them that are influenced by the Shadow King, there are shades of if death being available to them would fix it. I'm not, I don't want to say that the take that they're teenagers, they're trying stuff is wrong. That is absolutely no, no. a component of this. But also it's kind of like for Cosmar, it would literally solve her problems. For Anil, he has no other way to solve his problems. That There's and, more than just teenage angst no, but, there. No, but, no, for, no, Ka- but for Cosma, I think that like, you know, um, the other approach would be, would be would be the 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 older mutants going to her and say, hey, let's try this approach first. Let's try and see if you can control your powers right. and then reverse the effect on you. Whereas um Eno, like you like you pointed out, and Rainboy, like you pointed out, um there is it is their power. There's no way they can change and it. The what you're, yeah, yeah. other other question I like the thing I wanted to kind of bring up is that um, why do they have to go through crucible? Why not That's, just have a separate program for them? Well, like, this is right. the consequence. Pro- this is the total consequence of having such like a warlike culture and what Way of X mm-hmm. is talking about. Because if you prioritize all the fighters and the battlers so much, you're going to have people like this who are not getting, you know, what they yep. want or just you could argue deserve. Because if you have this ability to change and you're only giving it to the freaking fighters who want to go get beat up by Mag- Magneto. Like it's right, not the other a fair program, society. The other program right now is have Nightcrawler like you enough to bring you on a mission where you can get shot to in the face. Kill that's, exactly. that's the other program yeah. that's available that's right the, now. Exactly. And that's what I'm saying. It's like, it's not necessarily a lack of, because the thing is, here's the thing, like just the same way, um, what's it, Danny? What's her name? What's her code? Moonstar is Danny. Mirage. Yeah. No, no, Mirage. Is Mirage. Yeah. The, the same way Mirage was helping Karma out, she also helped Prodigy out like that. The exact same way to unlock his power and then trying to see what he can do and what there's a divergent timeline and everything. She took him on the whole journey. So Mirage can actually help these kids with understanding the diverging timeline or diverging, like maybe something like that. Maybe bring another mutant to help them. It's like, hey, look, even if you do this, it's not going to help you. Like, you know, for some of them. Or Cosmar yeah. maybe, that, that hey let's bring things under control there's yeah. there should be separate programs there should be different kids. programs there yeah. should be what different I, ways yeah. to help them i mean and, ask and, mask yeah. to change the face back and this book is so much different this book does takes <laughs> a different approach than way of x which kind of paints the crucible as just this brutal act where you're, you're seeing like these you know non-fighting mutants having issues with this and, and valid ones but at the same time you have this moment of self-actualization like catharsis with the actual crucible battle in the same book it's like balancing those two things directly and it's the, it's really the, nuanced and the thing is but the thing is the way of x the one thing that 
dad pointed out is like i'm not worried about the two people that's fighting i'm worried about all these kids just constantly cheering right. on and that's even valid here this is these like, are the kids yeah these <laughs> kids are just there and they're like howling like you know cackling about like yeah and then they're taking sides they're yeah. screaming it's like the super bowl at each other. Just, yeah it just and then and, and gamified in, yeah, in yeah. between that, like, you know, it's like, hey, excuse me, excuse me. Like, you know, Hannibal just yeah. trying to make her way. It's just like, it's 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 insanity. Yeah, it's and, insanity. and stepping on people's toe and say that, well, your feet shouldn't be there. It's not my <laughs> fault I step on it. <laughs> you know, we live, we live, oh, I hate to see his sense, but we do live in a society where, you know, violence, it's very easy for children. You know, I think we can all attest, like us or whoever we know, like mm-hmm. you can become very desensitized and accepting of violence, be that through television, video games, random insane videos you find on the internet. So it's not shocking that like this kind of society is, you're seeing a live murder, but if you're living in this heightened world and these, these kids might just learn to accept it very fast and treat it like a game as, as Peter well, just said. Well, and the also other, I think that the, there's like a societal aspect to that too where not all societies are the same. Like I got in an interesting Twitter discussion this mm. week with one of the friends of the show uh, about them saying, oh, well, this kind of gun violence is just normal for cartoons. I'm like, no, it's not. New Zealand no, doesn't air cartoons not. like that on public yeah. broadcast. Nobody would show that to a 10-year-old in New Zealand. No, yeah. Like that's your American version of it's okay. And that's the, that's the nature of cultural difference. And that's yeah. fine. Everybody deserves to have a different culture. But then when you when you turn that into well that's how all cultures must work that's when you start to lose the ability to be objective about your cultural practices yeah this isn't a great this isn't a new statement but it is wild that they decide to solve the resurrection problem with an idea from apocalypse now that i'm thinking about again like really that's who you went with because there's a lot of kids who have to live with the way apocalypse approached this is is the 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 survival of the fittest, fittest right? Yeah. yeah so basically, is, yes. he's like, well, you don't get a free pass simply because the pretender right. took your power away. There's you have like to sh- fight for it. There's just this strain of like barbaric sh- Darwinism yeah. fighting with like this this softer, but that, sweeter that side is of apocalypse. children. I of course, Apoc- no, of course. Yeah. But you're just seeing like but his see, ideals this- clashing with these kids who want to, their bodies. Want, they want to be feel right in their bodies, this and it's just this happened. total. Yeah. yeah, this is what happened when boomer mutants are not in the council. <laughs> All right, so yeah. I honestly, I want to yeah. tie this up in a couple ways and also yeah. move us forward in a couple ways. So okay. I think something that came up in that round, which is really fascinating to keep in your head, is Danny's the perfect solution to this. She's a self-actualization machine. She can show you <laughs> the version of you that's in your head. In Karma's case, there's two of her. And she did it by mistake. She wasn't even, because usually it's just your greatest wish, which is like in that moment. Like, I want a Band-Aid. I want a spear. I want a sandwich. But in reality, your true greatest wish is to be yourself. And she, without even realizing it, focuses that um, with the white rabbit. Uh, which turns out to be a version of Karma's brother. And so that like is a is a perfect, and now she realizes that with a lot of effort, she can actually make that happen for karma. But she could be bringing this service to each of these mutants, right? Each of these kids. And here's the other point that I don't want to lose sight of, but I don't know if we're the right crowd to take it deeply. Vita Ela, as a writer, is non-binary and clearly is writing some metaphorical things here that can be tied to the gender dysphoria experience Mm -hmm. in actual life that a person who is trans might experience. And I'll remind folks that non-binary is under the flag or umbrella of trans 
in many discussions today. And mm-hmm. at the same time, it's still a metaphor. They're mutants. We're not, none of them are, to our knowledge here, trans characters. So we can't apply that one-to-one in the actual world. And also, if you're not somebody who's having that experience in life, it's really hard for you to say, well, this should be this or should yeah. be that, because clearly there's a little bit of that thematic um, impact stacked here. And that's why I find that whole discussion about agency, autonomy, uniqueness between Scout and Cosmar really interesting because they're both right. And basically the dysphoria that is being discussed here is Scout saying like, I'm a rubber stamp and I'd prefer not to be. And the other people saying, well, I'm being forced into this body and I prefer not to be. It's all a great metaphor. But it's Vida being an incredibly talented writer, making the X-Men metaphor work in much more nuanced ways than it usually does. But Tyler, what are we going to discuss to close us out here? Well, we still have to kind of discuss the fight between Danny and uh, Shan, I do as think well that's one. as the Shadow King uh, scene. Okay, so debate we're a coward. <laughs> yeah, debate yeah. me. Why will you debate me? Just debate me. Just, <laughs> this is an exchange of ideas. Uh, so, so, so something I want to point out: <laughs> like Shadow King is actually in the scene of the crowds. Like she's yes. he's in the sea of the crowds in like multiple yeah. panels. So I'm not sure if his influence is actually affecting the crowds. Mm. I feel like we've had enough of just them cheering anyway that yeah. I feel that's true. Thing, well know? and something is I, rotten in Krakoa per way of X like is it onslaught? Is it the shadow king? There's a lot of things. That <laughs> that's a lot of things yeah. Some invasive yeah. exotic, right? Like Yeah. <laughs> so Let's talk about the fight just for a moment. I don't think we have to get mm-hmm. deep here. I, I think yeah. it's really, there's an interesting contradiction at the beginning of it, where because Karma's brother can't fight for himself, they've decided neither of them are going to use powers, except mm. for nobody has powers when they're in the fight. That's the whole point. You can only fight <laughs> if you lost your powers. Everybody else always got to use their powers. Apocalypse got to use their powers. So like, I, I thought it was a really interesting beat for them to be what like, we're both- What is Apocalypse's power? Stretching, he's he's stretchy, stretchy. Yeah, mute- mutation. Yeah. Body control. He, he just mutate anything. Yeah. Okay. But Sorry, I mean, I we've Storm used her power to 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 put do mm. five finger electric death punch on Callisto's heart in Marauders, yeah. right? So I just thought that that was really interesting. That like, why did the rules get changed just because her brother can't use his power in the fight? I guess because then if. Danny's powers were allowed, maybe Karma would reflexively use her powers, which no other combatant has had the chance to do, mm-hmm. and it would lead to, like, nuclear escalation between the two of them, yeah. so they have to both agree not to. I just thought that was really interesting. But that that's my one interesting beat from the fight that I haven't brought up yet. What, everybody gets one thing to bring up in the fight. Who wants to go next? Um, uh, I'll be I'll be basic. Uh, I, I just think, um, honestly, this is some really good fight. Uh, this is a good fight scene from Rod uh, Rice, who can yeah. be a little bit, uh, sometimes a little static, but like, you know, this is like really good fluid movement. It, it feels right. Like I'm look, and frankly, that final page where uh, uh, Karma gets her throat cut, like that is like a real, seems like a manga or anime kind of that's thing. A kung fu, a really, that's a kung fu scene yes, it from, really from a movie, from a kung and, fu movie. It, it's great. It's got a lot of motion and power yeah. and like just quietness to it. Well, I'm like that's good. The the top panel with like mm-hmm. Danny reflected on Le yeah. Parang, that was like, oh. This is like, this is kind of like, you know, Phil Noto wasn't always like a great like mo- like action artist or what have you, but I feel like uh, he definitely improved. I just feel like this no, is No, like this better. is not more, this is not Noto. I'm just, I'm just getting no as a parallel because they get tired, oh, like similar. Got it, got yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of static, good facial yeah. emotions, but I feel mm-hmm. like this is a really, really good fight scene, and it was, it was nice. Anything from you, Faria, on the fight? Uh, even though I cried, this is the second time I cried. When it's like, oh, you know, I'm 
like this is I, I I'm dying, but this is the best like you know the best look I can have like before dying. The tender the, moments. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it's it's, it's a very tender moments and everything like that. But a part of me was also a little bit like mm, I don't know about this because. We also often see it like, you know, if it's a boy and girl, there is never a platonic relationship. One of them has a attraction for another, you know. Yeah. In this case, Shin is, uh, she's a gay woman. And then Mirage is her kind of best friend. It's like, oh, now we're going to throw in the the attraction bait in there. Like, you know, and then potentially make them, oh, she has some feelings for her. I'm like, I don't know if I'm hip with that. Yeah, you I know, mean, a lot, like, of, a lot of fans would, would, say in response that which i don't judge in either direction that danny has been queer coded many many times over and you know if that let danny be bisexual gay whatever it turns out that she's going to be and play the beat because it's been coded so many times to just play it in text instead of subtext Mm -hmm. whether or not it means that they're romantically interested in each other or they're just appreciating an attraction to each other and I can see that. I tend to agree with you, like let people be platonic friends sometimes, but when yes. there's so right. little representation on the page, sometimes you ask for things. No, and, and, that's, and if, even if we're asking for things, to me it's like, you know, if there's no fulfillment of that, then why even showing that? That's just a tease that I am not hip with anymore, you know? But and also, someone, I, I mean, I... I mean, I kind of identify myself as a queer woman. So it's like, you know, I'm not necessarily hip with that. Oh, okay, just tease. I'm like, no, either show it to the full or let people be friends. <laughs> like, you know. But so, the thing is, like, I'm just saying that if one of you um, kill me, I'll, I'll tell you the same thing. Okay. Oh, Thank like, you. you know, it's a beautiful face. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so the end with Rain is like, don't worry, Scout. Weird. Everything's normal. I think you have valid concerns. Please debate this large psychic man <laughs> down by the what? river. Down so, by the river. Down by the river. And, <laughs> and he's drawn. And he's and and he and and, and Shadow King Farouk is drawn like a troll under a bridge. Yeah. I want to debate a Shadow King. And by you're bringing the a river. kid to the troll. God, the- so creepy. The I mean to be honest, after this, I kind of lost all all goodwill I had towards Rain. As of right well, now, she's like you know she has she. There's some of the things that I have read about her that it's like she's constantly like you know upset about just life things. in general, things yeah. in general. She <laughs> had a kind of like a very creepy relationship with Josh um, Elixir. Which uh, I mean, uh, no, that was that was like a minority grooming uh, situation. That's a that, big question mark. Yeah, that's yeah. you know, that's a mi- that's a kind of minority grooming. Then she's like, okay, I'm gonna leave X Factor. I'm gonna go to X Force. And the only contribution she had in X Force is like, uh, knocked boots with an Asgardian and got pregnant out of it. That's pretty much her whole contribution. Then she becomes upset by that, and then she lost that the child was taken from her. Then she upset about that, and now she's again being manipulated so easily by Shadow King. It and here's the thing: the reason it's kind of easy to like not hate the story but hate her in uh, like hate or like dislike her character, they just really in line with the character. Like, you know, it's one of those mm. things like, oh, Vitala wrote this. I'm I'm not saying that, that they did, but I'm mostly saying that this kind of makes sense. And 
you know, I'm not, I don't, I don't like this. Well, one of like Rain's most persistent character traits is she's susceptible yeah. to suggestion, right? Very she's susceptible. brought up incredibly religious. She kind of mm-hmm. goes with whatever friend will kind of like give her the most love. She, this is a Rain character trait. So right. I think it's, I mean, I hate her in the moment, but it's really <laughs> good writing for Rain. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And that's exactly what I'm trying to say, that this yeah. is kind of very, very much so. But then at the same time, I was kind of hoping that, She's growing out of it. All right, y'all. We have gotten through two hefty, hefty books of the week. And guess what? It's only going to get deeper and heftier from here because next week starts the gala, (gasps) which we've all been waiting for, which means we're going to get a month where we get one of each books. Plus, Cable number 12 is not part of the gala, but it is the finale of the Cable series. So there's also that to look forward as well. And Planet Size X-Men. It is going to be an intense, intense month. And it starts next week with Marauders, which is the first chapter of the gala. So. Oh boy, uh, there's so much to think about, so much to say, and so much to anticipate. And as we're having all those feelings, we get together to share them with each other, because why, Fariha? Excellent, better, what's right That is right, especially when there's issues so deep as these issues where I, I mean, I thought I outlined the hell out of these issues, <laughs> and I didn't even have half of what there was to talk about. Harry's voguing down there for people who are listening. So, on behalf of of Harry and also Tyler and also Faria and myself, I want to thank you for listening to another week of this week. Next, we love having this conversation together, and we love that you're a part of it with us. Look forward to next week. We're going to be back with the Hellfire Gala, and also look forward to the next. Uh, episode in running order because the next episode will be our first crushing comics book club discussion of Grant Morrison's Batman, which we're not up to Grant Morrison material yet. It's going to be intro to Batman, where Harry and Freya and I talk about some of our experiences with Batman, some of our favorite Batman stories, and we even go back and read Detective Comics number 27. So that will be the next episode up on the channel, and then next week we'll be back with the gala. So I've already said why we love you. I will just say thank you, and then until when we see you and talk to you again, we hope that you are well. Bye. Bye.